This is Jesus speaking in Matthew 11, verse 16. To what can I compare this generation, these people, this group? It is like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking and you say, oh, he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks and you say, oh, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. And in verse... 25. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves so wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then Jesus said, perhaps the most well-known part of this reading, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and the burden I give you is light. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, be among us this day. Let your spirit open our hearts and minds to receive from you the message that we need. Lord, take these halting words from insecure lips and bless them, Lord, so that others hear Your voice and not mine. In Christ's name, Amen. Please be seated. Um, We're getting into... uh, Well, I don't know much about sports. I also don't know who's playing when, but I understand we're getting into some of those uh, periods of time where people say, well, who are you pulling for? Right? Okay. Well, whatever. Okay. Let me ask you, how many of you have done this kind of pulling? With the horses, with the old-timey plow? One, two. My dad told me about that. I never did that kind of thing. This is the old way it used to be done. And some of you, although it's becoming very rare, had this experience. And the problem with us not having this experience is for the first century Jewish person, this was every day. They either did this or saw this. So when Jesus is talking about taking the yoke upon you, they had an immediate understanding and it connected. We have to work just a little harder. So for just a minute... My wife saw that picture and went, oh, oh, I, I look at it and think cows. So there's a different thing there. But this is the old kind of yoke that the people in the first century 
would have used. Now the thing we miss is that the first century rabbis used that expression, the yoke, to talk about their teachings. And as uh, Rabbi Nehunya ben Hakanah said, first century Jewish rabbi, whoever takes upon himself the yoke of the Torah, that is the law, they remove from him the yoke of government and the yoke of worldly concerns. And whoever breaks off the yoke of the law or the burden of the law, they place on him the yoke of government and the yoke of worldly concerns. Of course, another first century rabbi, Yeshua ben Joseph, a.k.a. Jesus of Nazareth, said this about the yoke the Pharisees were placing on people. And you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. See, Jesus called them out on having too heavy a yoke, this uselessly burdensome teaching. And He also told us in the text we read that we could take His yoke upon us because it was light and it was actually rest for our souls. Now, pulling the Pharisees' yoke at the time, this sort of judgmental legalism that every religion seems to fall back into if we're not careful, steals every bit of joy out of life. You feel burdened down. You feel weighed down. And here's the thing. If we are not experiencing joy in Christ, if our burdens are wearing us out, then maybe, not definitely, but maybe we have become attached or yoked because you notice it was always two of them to something other than Christ because honestly, we sort of know it in our bones. He's supposed to take a lot of that burden and He said, I will give you rest. My burden, my yoke is light. So that's one concern that is in this figure of speech that Jesus is using. The weight of the yoke. The weight of the teaching. But I think there's something else that's hidden in there and it's the direction or the straightness or the focus. And Paul talked about that in this terms. We generally think of this as a marriage metaphor and that's how he used it. But... This first century Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, a.k.a. Paul, said, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, I love the picture here of the person trying to pull the plow with the donkey on one side and the camel on the other. Because if you can see their faces, the donkey looks dispirited and the camel looks just angry. And you have to imagine that there's always this kind of brain-spitting conversation going on. You're not pulling enough. You're going the wrong way. Well, see, that's the thing. The problem can be the direction. I don't know if you can tell what's going on there. Some of you can. The line started out kind of straight, but okay, I'm not sure how many lines there are because some of them pick up in the middle of two, uh, basically, 
This is what our garden looked like when my dad, when I was younger, said, okay, son, time for you to learn how to run a tiller. That was what happened. I didn't even have the excuse of two critters pulling it in different directions on me. But see, Jesus was saying, and I think we can find this in these verses because earlier when he's saying, who is this generation like? Well, we played the wedding songs, you didn't dance. We played the funeral songs, you didn't mourn. Basically, we were setting the step you were supposed to follow, but you didn't do what we expected. And even if you did, Jesus seems to be saying it wouldn't have made any difference because, well, John didn't eat or drink, and you're saying, oh, he's got a demon. Jesus does, and you're saying, well... He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners and he's eating and drinking too much. You kind of get the feeling that no matter what they did, there was nothing they could do that would make these people who were threatened by Jesus and by John the Baptist comfortable and approving of them. And isn't that just like the world we're in? How many of us have been in a situation where we just eventually figured out no matter what we did, it was not going to be the right thing? Anybody ever felt that? <coughs> Pardon me. Do not look at your significant other and punch them in the side. That's, that's, that's wrong. But here's the thing. If you're going to take this and weave it in to the parable like should be, if we're just living for, the old phrase is what the world would say. If we're just living for the latest fad or for the most current social issue or for our next professional goal, and that's the only thing we're doing, if we do not have a clear purpose or direction in life, at the end of it, we'll look back and say, well, what did I what difference did I make? What did I do? What was there any meaning in this life? And even if in this world you find yourself on the top of whatever ladder you're climbing, be it salary, status, well-known fame, I guess you would say, if you are way up there, it seems that's when, well, the only place you can go is down and tell you there are people just waiting for you to fall. That's why certain newspaperish things sell so well. But it's so easy and so tragic to get caught up in some of these things. I just heard one this week about a young couple who were so dedicated to getting more likes on YouTube on their channel that they decided to do a stunt. Do not try this at home. One of them got a thick phone book and gave his wife the Desert Eagle, I think, handgun. 50 caliber, is that right? He said, oh yeah, I've tested it, I've shot it, it's, it's fine. Go ahead, shoot me. She shot him. It killed him instantly, went right through the phone book or whatever book it was. They have a three-year-old child and she's expecting their second. Why did they do that? To get more notoriety. To get more fame. To get more acclaim. To get more hits. <coughs> Pardon me. Or likes. 
But you know, even if that had gone just swimmingly well, and people were like, wow, that's awesome, and nothing bad had happened, in about 20 years, what difference is it going to make how many hits you got on that particular social media platform? Here's the thing. If we want meaning and we want direction and we want purpose in our life, then it involves setting aside the yokes this world tries to place upon us and taking up the direction, the leadership, the teachings, the yoke, the co-labor of Christ. So how do you do that? How do we take His yoke upon us? Pardon me. How do you attach yourself to Christ? Now, I'm going to use that marriage metaphor that Paul used in Corinthians, all right? Because it's a very easy one and it's something that most people, regardless of the generation into which they were born, have either experienced it or something leading to it or something like it. So let me ask you this. Would you agree that a marriage should not begin without knowing that other person really well? Would you agree that a marriage cannot last without constant effort put in by both people? There is a weight of knowledge that we must bear. Not just for learning that person who we're saying, I think I'm going to be spending my life with you. There's some revealing of the other that each of us do. Well, with our relationship with Christ, we are told we need to learn His character, His thoughts, His goals. And the thing is, people, again, we always say, well, it's old-fashioned, but it's the same thing we know we should do. Or maybe we don't. Let me ask you this. If your spouse has gone to the other side of the world and there's no internet, there's no Skype, and you receive a letter in the mail from them, didn't that used to be the most exciting thing? Or from your child or from a parent or from a mom and dad, someone you missed dearly and you received this letter that made you feel like you were in touch with them again. That is what God's Word in part is. This is how we learn who Jesus is. What God thinks. His nature. His character. And honestly... I mean, we've got so many distractions today, but we also have so many vehicles for doing this. We all have our phones. We can have Bible on our phones. You can, if you like to listen to books. And if you still got a cassette player in your car, there are like 10 bucks for the whole Bible at these used bookstores. Get some, sneak it in during the day. You find a quiet moment and just spend some time alone. And even if you can't, and if you're just driving like I do a lot, Pop the cassette in. Turn on the MP3 player. Find ways to spend that time reading, listening, sneaking it in during the day. Hey, not just that. 
How many of you listen to podcasts? I'm, I'm seeing one down there, and yes. Okay, I'll be two. Podcasts, sermons, you can find them online. Trust me, I will not be offended if you come up to me and say, Preacher, I heard the best sermon the other day. It wasn't yours, but I heard the best sermon the other day. I want to share it with you. Now, by the way, Lori, I've still got to always be your favorite preacher, though, okay? Are we good with that? She's not answering. Okay, anyway. But see, these are the things we can do ourselves. Reading the Scripture, spending time in prayer, finding those moments and squeezing in, learning more about Jesus, who He is, what God thinks, His character, His nature. God has exposed His inner self to us has trusted us with who He is as the Creator of this universe. And guess what? He is in love with you. Man, that should make us excited. The next part. And it has to do with go in that right direction. Constant directed effort. In any relationship, you have to put energy into it. You have to be aware of if some distance is creeping in or if you're pulling in different directions. And often this takes the help of others whenever it starts happening. For instance, let's use a marriage example again explicitly. If there's a trouble, a problem, a distance in the relationship, one of the things that you might do is go to your family and friends or their family and friends. Those you can trust, those that in confidence you know are committed to helping your relationship work. Those who may understand the other person and maybe understand you better than you understand yourself. The ones who are rooting for you to make it. Now when in your walk with Christ, you also need those persons. That is one of the reasons that church exists. You need those persons who are pulling for your walk, your faith, your joy in Christ. And here's the thing. If you have... If you see some distance creeping in, or even if you have a very large decision to make and you're not, no, okay, what would God have me do? Or what's the range of options He's setting before me that are okay and that are holy? Then find persons whom you believe have a close walk with Him. Don't just ask your BFFs. Y'all know what that is, right? Best, is it best friend Fridays or something? I don't know, whatever that is. No, that's TGI Fridays. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> don't just talk to the people who are in the same place in their walk as you are. Find those who have more experience or even a different experience. Basically someone who's standing in a place other than where you are who will have a different perspective than you have on the situation. And here is one of the things that I think all churches, every church, the church with a capital C, that we need to do better. We need to provide an explicitly safe 
place for people to come and say, this is who I am, this is what I struggle with. The next question is going to be, are you going to judge me and talk about me behind my back or not? Too often, I think at least now, the reputation that churches have is, oh yeah, you're going to get talked about. You're going to get judged. We can't just say, no, that's what does, that, that doesn't happen with us. We've got to prove it by saying, look, I'm here for you. Anything you tell me is between me and you and the Father above. If you've got struggles, if you've got addictions, if you've got questions, if you've got doubts, I love you and you know what? God loves you and let's bear this burden together. That is what church is supposed to be. So be wary of pulls in the wrong directions. Or maybe even distractions. I like the person in that little cartoon. Reading the Bible, butterfly goes by. There it goes. Yeah. Thinking of it in terms of marriage again. <laughs> Y'all didn't notice that I got confirmation that Jedi's can be superheroes for VBS? I'm in. Okay. The only, to me, the only real genius line that was in those three prequels, which let's don't talk about them after this, um, was when... Luke and Leia's mom talking to the dad who had gone to the dark side. You're breaking my heart. You're going somewhere where I can't follow you. I thought that was genius. Then I thought, oh yeah, Lucas and his wife, they got a divorce. That, I wonder how much that came out of a conversation they actually had. You're going somewhere I can't follow. In this life, sometimes it's a little too easy to wander off the path. I mean, there's a lot of voices calling. A lot that are saying, fun over here. Status over here. Rest over here. Oh, don't believe that one. <laughs> and honestly, we've got a problem with that anyway. Humanity is, you're, you've been in this grocery store and been pushing a shopping cart. Ever gotten one with those wonky wheels? Uh-huh. And what does it do? You're always trying to keep it from veering in. If you let go of it for a moment, it turns one way or the other and crashes in and you know, if the kid's in the buggy, they reach out, da, 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 grab it and th throw it in the buggy. We tend to be like that. We do have to focus. Otherwise, we'll veer off. For instance, 
if you have a bad understanding of the way and the goal and where you're headed, veering off is easy. It's kind of easy in a marriage. Because we can tell ourselves things that aren't so. I think the this is a hard one, but it's the one I put in the outline. I better say it. I've heard the culture speak this line, not in these words, but this is the concept. If it doesn't work out, no big deal. Everything's disposable nowadays. It's all right. Kids, oh, they'll be fine. How about this religious example, though, this Christian example? Oh, why do I go to church? Oh, I go to church for, you know, for what I get out of it. Is that a reason to go to church? Oh, yeah. We need that coming together, but there's also something that the world outside the church has kind of looked at us and said, wait a minute, I thought you were supposed to be here to minister to us when you leave. And I think that criticism's valid. So, watching out for the paths that lead away. Watching out for the things that might just a little bit at a time distract you away from the things you need to focus on. Here, let's just try to wrap it up. Are you pulling for Christ? Are you pulling with Him? Let's use that marriage metaphor one last time because um, I don't know if you've seen those couples who have been married like forever. You ask them, they'll say, how long have we been married? Forever. <laughs> I remember one couple, Ruby and Chester McRae, from when I was growing up and they had God all over them. Okay? But here's a thing. And maybe some of you have noticed this happening with your significant other. Over the years, if everything goes right, you begin to know the mind of the other person so much that you say the same things at the same time. Ever had that happen? Lori and I did that the other day and Christopher went, wow. It was something like we saw something and went, You've got to be kidding me. Just right in sync. Finish each other's sentences. What does that mean? It means you're in sync. That you know that you and they are thinking along the same lines. Apply it. You tend to, over the years, exchange and even merge your behavior. Sometimes that's awesome. Sometimes that's awful. Sometimes... I'm sorry, wife. I've even seen some couples that start to look more alike as they get older together. Mm. Karen's there signing, no, no, no. <laughs> but even if that doesn't happen, eventually people start to see the two of you as one. You're, even after Ruby passed, every time I saw Chester, I still thought of Ruby. 
they were still together in my mind. So let's take this and apply it to Christ. At the end of the day, do I want to remind others of this fractured world or do I want to remind, do I want to remind others of Jesus? When they see me, don't I want them to see him? Do I want to know, have I learned, have I Have I taken into my heart and mind the nature of Christ? Have I walked that more fulfilling path, that joyful, that meaningful path, that path that's definitely not always easy, but does have a purpose that has consequences that last? Have I followed the one who says, For surely I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare and not your harm, to give you a future with hope. We're in a busy world. We're in a time where we hear more, see more. There are more distractions than ever before and more things that will try to take our joy from us and redirect our focus away from Christ. We have to stay vigilant. We have to stay real. We need to do those things which we know restore our souls. And we need to not forget why we come together. Dear Lord, let it be. Amen. And amen.